You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. If you like All Things Video, I'm sure you'll enjoy my new friend Sheila Cagill's podcast, Communicate Influence. The Communicate Influence podcast explores the obvious and less obvious issues and trends in PR, communications, and marketing. It's essential listening for anyone at the forefront of these industries. Listen at communicateinfluence.com or with your favorite podcast listening app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Justin Moore, founder and CEO of Trending Family. Justin, welcome to the show. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, James. Yeah, glad we get to do this from our quarantine bunker. We're making it happen. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, always fun to connect with uh, a fellow podcaster. You know, I, I thought we'd start off and talk about the fact that, you know, most people will obviously recognize you and your family as social media sensations, but um, <laughs> that hasn't always been the case, right? So I'm curious to hear what was life like before you became a full-time content creator? Yeah, I don't. I would kind of take issue with sensation. I don't. I don't know about. I mean, may, <laughs> maybe, but uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. So before doing YouTube, so I was actually in medical devices. Strangely enough, um, so I went to school for computer engineering, and my wife is a preschool teacher. So it was kind of an interesting journey. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I like went and got my graduate degree in entrepreneurship as well. And so I was always doing these kind of like harebrained scheme startup type, you know, projects trying to to uh, make make a buck on the side of my full time gig, you know, any good examples? Yeah, actually. So I, I um, man, I did so many things. I, I probably the most interesting one is I, I was an art broker for about two years. I would like go to estate sales, flea markets, garage sales, and I would look for art and sculptures. And I would resell them at like local auctions and eBay. And I made like a lot of money doing it, but it was so exhausting. Like just waking up at the crack of you know dawn every single weekend for like yeah. years. But it was a, it was a great ride. I wrote an ebook about how to flip art. Yeah, so I was like definitely down that path. And there's just like a bunch of other things that I tried over the years. But I think the, the funniest part about about the whole thing is that in the background, and when my wife and I kind of first moved in together, she you know was so interested in like beauty products and cosmetics and things like this, and. Um, I would always, she had never watched YouTube before uh, getting with, this was like 12, 13 years ago. And she thought like YouTube was for like cat videos, right? As, as most people did back then or however, however long ago it was. So she started to watch like, I think Michelle Fawn was like one of the first, you know, obviously beauty gurus back in the day and some other creators. And I kept telling her, I was like, you should do this. Like you're so, you love products. Like, you know, and she didn't really have any other friends who were into products like that. And so she made her first video on like a web, the webcam that I had. I edited it. Like we, I taught her to edit it in like Windows Movie Maker, you know, <laughs> back then. This was like way back before the YouTube partner program. Um, and so it was like a hobby in, in the beginning for, for years. Um, and so she applied for the YouTube partner program, got rejected like three times, you know, and she slowly but steadily kind of like grew her business on YouTube. And then when the brand started knocking, she was like, wow, this is cool, but I don't know what do I do? What do I say? And so like MCNs were like just starting then it was still very new. And so I kind of dove in and helped her like look at contracts and kind of helped with the business side of the, you know, things and brand deals and things like that. And then I started appearing in her, you know, YouTube videos with us. And then we started our, our family channel together, cooking channel. So like, it just kind of slowly progressed. I and mean, we've been on on YouTube for almost 10 years now, over 10 years. And so, you know, about five years ago, we started trending family, our influencer agency, 
honestly, because we saw this void in the market. Honestly, the reason is we kept getting asked by the brands and agencies that we were working with if we could introduce them to our friends. <laughs> and we got and we got asked that enough times that we were like, we should probably make a business around yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and so that's how it started. It was started with about 30 of kind of our close uh, friends on YouTube. And then, you know, now we work with over 500 creators in a lot of different categories. And so Training Families, the whole niche that we operate in is that we only work with family-friendly creators, primarily those that make video content. So, you know, people who are... Uh, wholesome, who are not posting super controversial content. These are folks who have a very well-established history of, of great brand partnerships, people who are just kind of been around the block, you know, um, and, and that's kind of our, our whole value proposition to kind of our clients. And so if, if I, if you would have told me that I would be an influencer marketing when I was in college, like doing, you know, medical device type stuff or engineering stuff, I would not have believed you. So it's, it's been very circuitous. And, and at what point did you recognize and say, well, hey, you know, there's a big opportunity here. We've got this advantage and early lead in, in being not only influencers ourselves, but understanding the business side and being able to help you guide and usher other people into this new world. When did you make that call to say, let's go full time on this business? It was something that we definitely planned for a long time because getting uh, having health insurance, uh, especially when you know we were pregnant with our first son and and going through the whole like birth and delivery process on my company's health insurance was very important at that time, you know. Um, and so we definitely were planning it. We were like, okay, honestly, essentially the, the way we did it is we basically said, okay, if we can start making. X amount of dollars incrementally over our like day job income, then we kind of just, we just have to do it. Like once we hit this level, I just have to quit. And cause there's an opportunity cost associated with, you know, what if I could spend 60 hours a week on our YouTube business full time, you know, like what could that do to our business? That was kind of how we looked at it. Honestly, once we hit that point, we hit that point essentially right before our first son was born. And then six weeks I took like paternity leave. And then the day I got back from paternity leave, I handed in my resignation. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they loved so, you. Yeah, that wasn't that. Yeah, but it was like, I, I mean, I gave two weeks notice, of course, but like, yeah. so it was it was nerve wracking. You know, it was like, are we had a newborn and, and you know, we're kind of full time in this uh, in this brave new world. Wow. And for those out there listening who are aspirational creators or also want to be entrepreneurs, what advice do you have for them? What, what would you say is the hardest part about being a first time founder? So with respect to our influencer agency or our like YouTube business? Yeah, I'm both really. I would say that like diversification of revenue is the name of the game, especially right now in this climate. I think a lot of creators are waking up to the reality of like brand deals cannot sustain you forever, especially if things run dry, right? So that means fan funding mechanisms like Patreon, you know, affiliate marketing, direct, you know, sales to your followers like merch and things like that. Ensuring that you have, you know, a sustainable income is is really, really critical. I think it's this industry is so unpredictable, as we know, like things can happen and shift very quickly. And and so it, it definitely is is very, very critical to ensure that you've built kind of a model where, you know, if one channel dries up that you have some others to fall back on. And, and I mean, interestingly, like in the beginning, something like 90 to 95% of our revenue personally as creators came from views, you know, like ad revenue, like, you know, share, revenue share. And that was maybe like four or five years ago. And now it's like 5%. Uh, I think for a lot of creators to like uh, ad revenue that they get from YouTube, especially creators that are making things that don't get monetized, politics, comedy, you know, video gaming, all these types of things that sometimes it's challenging to get monetized. It's just a new ball game, 
now, you know, and so creators need to think a lot more holistically about their, their overall business. Yeah, certainly. And as you alluded to, the COVID-19 health crisis has had a significant impact on the state of the influencer marketing business, particularly for those brand deals at the moment. How has it impacting your business and your content strategy? And how are you helping the other influencers you work with through the agency navigate this challenging period? Yeah, so I heard this term recently that really resonated with me, and it was called doom surfing, (laughs) which was essentially not being able to not read all the news about COVID, you know, like you just continuously read articles and like, what's the current state of things, you know, around the world and locally and in your community and things like this. And it's really tough to like look away because it's impacting every aspect of our lives. Right. And so you have people who are, who are consumed by that and feeling a lot of anxiety right now. And yet at the same time, we're seeing massive levels of engagement and viewership on social media, on Netflix, on Hulu. And so there is this sense of like also people wanting an escape, you know, from everything that's going on and and a lot of the challenging circumstances. And so I think creators have a very delicate line to, you know, they kind of got to balance this, which is that, you know, you obviously want to be respectful and reverent of like the current situation. But at the same time, a lot of creators, you know, know that their audience is looking for an escape. I think it's up to every creator to really understand like what is their audience looking for at this time? You know, maybe maybe creators who do more kind of like factual based uh, informational videos, maybe they want to shift their strategy to be a lot more timely with COVID and, and the changing state of things. And maybe those who do more kind of like vlog content, maybe their audiences are looking for, you know, kind of their traditional like day in the life, you know, I mean, maybe obviously it's going to be different. You're going to be quarantined now, but like, um, you know, I, I think it really just depends. And, and honestly, I think creators should not be afraid to like ask their followers, what do they want, whether it's in the community tab or on Instagram or wherever they're able to engage with folks like, ask people what they want, do a poll, like what type of content do you want to see from me right now? I want to, I, I think the biggest thing is like ensuring that you are, aren't appearing tone deaf, that you're not alienating your followers who may not want to see that type of content from you right now. Yeah. We're not capitalizing on the situation. We've seen right. know, a few brands make some, some uh, dangerous missteps during this period. So mm-hmm. how are you helping advertisers that you talk to get through this time and think about the appropriate messaging to have as they work with influencers? I actually did a, a webinar on this topic over the last, I've done a couple over the last couple of weeks because there there is this big appetite for understanding how to navigate this and not be tone deaf. Like I remember in the first like week or two of, of when all this kind of shelter in place orders, social distancing, you know, mandates came down, brands still hadn't turned off their scheduled campaigns, <laughs> you know, like they're on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And like they were putting out these, this, this creative that felt very tone deaf, whether it was like people sharing food or like people like gathering in large groups or like things like this. And, and, and brands weren't being super agile and, and turning those types of campaigns off and understanding. And they were just getting roasted on social, you know, like they were just, people were being like, you know, when do brands realize that the world is not normal anymore? And so obviously, I think now most brands have kind of turned off those campaigns, but it's also trying to understand now, like, how do we best navigate? Like both for our agency, as well as personally, we've had kind of interesting, we've had some brands who have seen a lot of 
success in this environment, whether it's like kids, you know, toys or educational products or like, you know, personal care, or beauty, like we've seen certain categories like perform really well. And then there's others that obviously haven't like luxury goods and and other experiential type brands or, or, or things like that. Theme parks, hospitality obviously has gotten crushed. So there's certain categories that are performing very well, certain ones that aren't. And so it's it's a matter of understanding now that Basically, the main message that I've been giving to our clients is that now is not the time to be super sales heavy in your messaging. Now is the time to be a resource for your consumers. A, a good example that I give is that like a, a, a national haircutting chain, for example, was on one of our webinars and we were talking about different ways in which you can be a resource to your consumers and talk about like, obviously all the salons and things are shut right now. So it's like, how do you, how do you stay present in mind to your consumers? And one idea was well, why don't we create some content, some videos to teach families how to cut their kids' hair at home? That could be a very powerful thing. And once everything kind of goes back to normal, you better believe that consumer is going to remember that you were there for them in a pinch, you know? So it's like trying to think outside the box a little bit of like how you can be useful to your consumers without being uh, exploitative or, or preying on fears. Yeah, I saw an article from AdAge that shared some examples of brands that are actually increasing their spending during the current pandemic. Uh, obviously, Amazon Prime Video, Dial, right, for hand soaps, Instacart, Quibi, which is launching next week, HBO right. Now, Uber Eats, and even Southwest Airlines, which kind of surprised me. But uh, in any event, are are there creative case studies that you've seen outside of you know the, the haircutting example that you mentioned, partnerships between influencers and brands that are creating uplifting content or creating you know something with a powerful message during these times? I think the name of the game, honestly, is ensuring that you're able to pivot your campaign to be responsive. You know, so I think we've seen campaigns where some of the creative has already been shot and the captions are what folks are able to pivot. So, you know, now that I'm spending so much more time at home, dot, 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 you know, <laughs> you know, to ensure that that it makes a lot more sense. And so if the creative was shot at home or or inside or, or something like that, as long as you're able to kind of give a nod to the current state of things, I think that that can be a, a somewhat easy pivot. Like you said, a lot of CPG brands, a lot of, you know, the grocery consumption has been way, way up. Uh, you know, I, I saw a similar graph, like electronics has been way up. I saw one example that was actually pretty interesting. So Thrive Market, they just straight up said they created an email address. I think it was like COVID-19 relief at thrivemarket.com or something like that. And they said, like, send in your stories. What's happening with your family? What's happening in your community? And they said, we'll select a handful of people to get $150 grocery vouchers, you know? So it's like straight up just like helping their, their campaign was just to like help consumers directly beyond just like brands doing this. My wife and I decided to post on Instagram and basically just say, we want to give back. We know that, you know, times are hard right now, especially like for frontline, you know, health, healthcare workers and, and especially restaurant workers. A lot of people are out of work. So it's like we gave back a thousand dollars, like in $50 increments to like 20 people. And it was this Amazing. beautiful, it was this beautiful thing to see because we saw people in our community start helping other people, right? We like mm -hmm. asked for people's stories and their people were posting their Venmo handles and like other people were just like, I got you, like, I'll help you out. Like, you know, so it was like this really I've seen, we've seen this really beautiful level of like community and, and people trying to help each other out in this time. Um, it's, it's pretty unprecedented, you know, what we're going through. And so you've also seen a lot of that from other creators and, and trying to just engender this level of positivity and like, we will, we will overcome mindset, you know, and it's been, it's really been really nice to see.
Yeah, that's incredible. Have you also observed examples of influencers supporting nonprofits or uh, some of the humanitarian relief aid that's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen um, quite a few campaigns where um, I think Influencer out of the UK partnered with the WHO to do some pro bono type campaigns where influencers were, you know, encouraging people to wash their hands and stay home and like things like that. I, I think it's, you know, people have, I mean, you've even seen obviously like Steph Curry interview Dr. Fauci on Instagram live and things like that. So it's like, I, I read a really interesting article about what is the uh, responsibility of quote unquote celebrity, you know, in both traditional celebrities as well as influencers to participate. I think especially with like Gen Z and like younger generations to understand the gravity of the situation. And, and I think you definitely have seen a lot of people jump in and like share their expertise and, or, you know, share a kind of a PSA around this whole thing. And so um, I, I've been very pleased that there have been, yes, some folks who have done the opposite and they've, you know, Basically, they have a large platform. They basically have, you know, said that they think it was overblown or a hoax or whatever. I think a lot of people understand the gravity of it now. But in the early, you know, early March, things like that, I think you did see instances of, of influencers kind of like blowing it off. But I'm, I'm hopeful now more that, that people are taking it seriously. Yeah, certainly. What do you see as the immediate and potential long-term impacts of the pandemic? You know, some people are predicting that this will change human behavior, this will change advertising spends long-term, perhaps more traditional ad dollars or things that were spent on live events and sports are going to shift over to digital. Is that good news for influencer marketing? Is that just accelerating these trends that were already happening? What's your take there? I think that some brands, like you mentioned, are actually accelerating their marketing right now, and then they're kind of seeing their some of their highest performing days and weeks ever. But lots are, are also pausing. I think it's really, if, if you look at like Bank of America was out with like a GDP prediction saying that like there was going to be something like negative 30% in Q2, negative 1% in Q3, and something like plus 30% in Q4, you know, once we're kind of like over the hump of the whole crisis, I think it's going to mirror quite closely with how long these quarantine measures last, you know, as, as long as people kind of are kind of in their homes and the economy is at kind of a standstill, things are going to be pretty unstable. Like obviously a lot of traditional brands, especially the ones that have major retail presences are hurting right now with their stores closed. And so they're having to shift everything to like e-commerce, you know, which is quite an undertaking. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes and brands are just kind of scared of appearing tone deaf. So they've kind of paused everything. And, and the other challenge is that there is not a unified federal strategy for closures and shelter in place. So national brands like have to ensure that their messaging accurately speaks to consumers in different parts of the country that may be operating in different kind of day-to-day environments, you know? And so I think that it's, it's very complicated and it's, and it's, yes, it's going to, it's going to accelerate the move of ad dollars from TV to digital video for sure. The question is just how much. And I think the biggest challenge is that just no one knows how long this whole thing will last. And so mm-hmm. brands can't sit on their cash forever. Right. And so, and that, I think that's definitely what's going to happen for the next few months. But I, I do think that we'll start to see investment ramp up again. I think one, one argument that I've heard, you know, is that influencer marketing is going to take a big hit because, you know, some still, I think, see it as kind of a line item that can be easily trimmed in lieu of like, you know, maybe a more proven tactic. But I actually, you know, being in this field, like I actually take a different opinion on that, which is that now is really the time to work with influencers because 
they are a, a familiar face, you know, they're a familiar voice and, and they're able to help brands strike the right tone with their consumers. I mean, plus, I always like to joke that like influencers are kind of like a production company in a box, right? Like you can't do traditional productions right now, right? Like they're at home, they have the camera equipment, they are a creative shop, you know, they can film it, edit it, distribute it, market it. And the brands are able to repurpose the assets, whether it's organically or for paid media or something like that, right? So I do think that things are paused right now, but I'm hopeful that brands will start dipping their toes back into the water and, and ramping things up as things improve. It's funny that, especially right now, premium television is starting to look like online content, right? Mm -hmm, you look at uh, mm -hmm. late night shows and they're trying to figure out how to shoot from home and do things remotely. <laughs> and it looks like an influencer right, right. in their bedroom. So right. I think they're learning from the success of uh, social influencers and trying to adapt to the, the climate. And if you can't put your ad dollars this year into something like the Olympics, right, where does that money go? I think mm -hmm. it frees it up to to do more digital allocation. And if you see success, as oftentimes influencer campaigns drive a really high ROI, that gives you a good case study to then go back and spend more. The other interesting piece of that is that I've actually seen some great examples of brands who typically post very polished and glossy assets on social or, or wherever they do. They have like a very high brand aesthetic have posted just like, you know, iPhone videos or like webcam videos or they're live streaming on Instagram or Facebook, like their head of marketing or their CEO or something like that. Right. And it feels much more human. Right. Like yeah. it feels like that's what consumers are craving right now. They don't want these like gl glossy traditional ads. They want, you know, people are responding really well to like Jimmy Fallon, you know, in his kitchen with his kids, you know, like yeah. or interviewing his wife, like out on a, a little walk, you know, like I, I, th I thought that was really charming. And I think I think people really are responding well to that. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that trend will hopefully continue and people will understand that that, that can be very powerful. What happens to things like meetups and conferences, right? The VidCon, you know, has been rescheduled for many of their events in the early part of the year. Other things have been outright canceled, right? When you think about big shows like South by Southwest, uh, you know, what does that mean for the live event and conference space? And do you see any examples of digital conferences being organized? Yeah, so we've had several conferences that we were going to attend canceled like VidCon, Expo West, you know, International Home and Housewares in Chicago, that kind of thing. You know, I, I haven't seen many successfully pivot to digital just yet. I think, I don't know, I think partly due to just the lack of tech solutions at that scale. You know, there, there are some tech solutions out there that have been around before and have been doing these types of things, but they're not super well attended, I think. And just the tools and technology and, and scalability with those are still a question mark for me. I, I, I for example, I, I saw a stat about Zoom yesterday that said that before COVID-19, they had something like 10 million daily active users, and now they have 200 million. Wow. So I mean, like you think, I, I mean, think about Zoomstock. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you think about the tech, the tech challenges of managing that scale. I think it's super impressive that they were able to, to even do that, you know? And so it's like, if we're going to start having these like very large scale conferences now, you're going to need tools that can sustain scale like that. So it's like, I also do think, though, that it's going to take kind of a completely new paradigm than just 
tuning into Zoom on different talks or something. Like you think about VidCon, there's so many different tracks. There's the, you know, the community floor with all the brands advertising. There's, um, you know, the speed networking. There's the, obviously the panels and sessions and things like that. So there's a lot of different aspects that I think people value about in-person conferences. And there are going to be challenges for in-person events, even after things get back to normal, because there's still going to be question marks around like how many brands are going to sponsor those things? What's the attendance going to be like? Are people going to feel comfortable like going and attending those things still? I think we're going to be feeling the effects of this for a long time after things are kind of quote unquote normal when there's a vaccine and different therapeutics that are introduced and things like that. So I'm not sure. I I, I would be, I think there is a big company to be started in that space. Let's, let's say that. Okay. Yeah, well, stay tuned. Maybe someone's got a big idea out there. <laughs> I think you're right. Travel and tourism are going to be particularly hard hit for the foreseeable future. So live events are tricky to pull off in this environment and, and the technology just doesn't quite seem to be there yet today. What's coming next, Justin? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the media space, what would they be? That's a good question. So number one, I think that we're going to see some major publishers go bankrupt in the next six to 12 months, I think, which is really unfortunate. I mean, traffic is way up, but advertising is way down, you know, and and that's not sustainable, I think, for a lot. I mean, like you just saw Walmart, for example, pulling some of their affiliate marketing partnerships with some major partners like Magic Links and, and things like that. And so publications like BuzzFeed, for example, a lot of their, I think up something like 20% of their revenue is, is through affiliate type models. And so, I mean, let's be frank, like a lot of publishers have already been hurting, you know, in the last like, you know, 12 to 18 months. And so quite a bit of consolidation there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't see how this isn't the death knell for quite a few of them. I think the biggest challenge is, is that I, I'm not even sure, even with some of like the stimulus packages that are being legislated right now, and hopefully there'll be some additional ones, like there's going to be thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of businesses that just won't even be able to open again after things go back to normal, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, we're going to emerge into a very different atmosphere, I think, in the next like 12 months. So that's number one. I I definitely think we're going to see some, unfortunately, some folks go out of business. Number two, what I'm hopeful for this one is that we're finally going to see some major movies being released day and date. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, I recently watched The Invisible Man on Amazon Prime and it was like, I was happy to pay $20 to rent it in the comfort of my home, you know? And I, I really do hope that trend continues for like major productions and, and things like that I think are going to accelerate. Like I saw South by Southwest and Amazon Prime Video are, are teaming up and there's going to be like a 10 day film festival for Amazon Prime subscribers that they can, you know, for the filmmakers that choose to participate, they can watch that content. So there's these, these like very new and interesting things being done out of necessity right now in this environment. And I'm, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, those types of things will accelerate because I think, I think we're ready for it. And then finally, I really do think that we're going to see more consolidation in in the influencer marketing industry as kind of agencies and platforms continue to fight over ad dollars right now, you know, for the next 12 to 18 months, you know, we already saw some consolidation occurring with like tap influence and Isia um, and others like, you know, Maverick buying up group high and things like that. So I think that's going to continue. I I don't think it's sustainable. You know, like it's a super, super saturated landscape right now for influencer agencies and platforms and things like that. And so I I definitely do think that we're going to see some consolidation there. And what does the future hold for Trending Family? Yeah, so I mean, we're, you know, we're really thankful to have clients who really do see the the value of influencer marketing 
um, holistically. And, and we continue to have clients who are running great campaigns, even in this climate, obviously they've, they've pivoted to ensure that their campaigns are, are sensitive to this atmosphere, you know, but I, I we really kind of the long-term outlook is that we really do want to build services and tools to enable brands to get more mileage out of their assets, you know, for paid media and things like that. And to continue educating brands that working with influencers can be extremely valuable. I think, you know, if, if anything, as I mentioned a little bit ago, like, I think that this is going to illustrate to brands how valuable influencer production can be, given that we're all working, we're all quarantined. We can't go out and do major productions and have a production company do a big, you know, a big whole thing. And so I, I am hopeful that we'll start seeing more utilization of this tactic, given that, you know, the need for content will only grow in this environment where everyone is consuming so much. Influencers, I think, can be a very compelling channel to to develop that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And it was foreign a few years ago, and now it's become almost commonplace to see a brand engage an influencer, not just to create the content, distribute it on the influencer's social channels, but oftentimes have the contract include a license so that the brand mm-hmm. can work through their channel, repurpose the content for print ads, a TV spot, anything where they can, like you said, get a little more mileage out of that content and view an mm-hmm. influencer as a full service not just creative strategy, production, distribution shop, but also this way to kind of leverage up that content into other formats, other mediums. Absolutely. Justin, you you talked earlier about how you've always had this entrepreneurial knack, right? From selling art to uh, finding these little side hustles while you were were employed, encouraging your wife to do the same, which is awesome. So (laughs) I'd love to ask everyone who comes on the show, if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? Oh man, that's like I, I'm always thinking about these things. I'm I'm honestly obsessed with these types of things, whether it's extensions of of the of the business or other different ideas in this space. Um, I, to be honest, I've really been obsessed with how to scale the process of working with influencers using software tools, and I I think it's challenging because I think there is platform fatigue amongst influencers right now. Mm-hmm. You know where it's like. Every single vendor, everyone wants you to like log in and like kind of like grant access to your social accounts, right? And I think that's the biggest gripe is that people just don't want to do it anymore. Or they just don't trust some random company to like, you know, have OAuth access to their (laughs) social accounts, you know? It's challenging because some of the influencer platforms that integrate messaging, for example, like often revert back to communicating everything via email because folks just don't want to send messages through a platform and they don't want to mm-hmm. submit their submit their drafts of their content that way, you know? I don't know. I'm, I'm always thinking about this. I, I One company in particular that I admire is Luminu. Uh, you know, I think it's a brilliant company. They enable brands to do paid whitelisting in a, in a much easier way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so things like that. I mean, I think that's kind of the holy grail for me is, is thinking through different ways to enable brands to work with creators where it's kind of like a win-win where creators see the value, brands see the value, and it's, it doesn't feel cumbersome. I, I'm going to crack that nut eventually. I'm, I'm not there yet, but uh, always thinking about it. I'm with you. You know, we think a lot about those problems at Paladin and we're, mm-hmm. we're the same way, right? Influencers are busy, right? You guys have a full-time job creating content. You're already needing to keep up with your different platforms across YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, right? So you don't want another place to have to log in and message people and respond. So right. uh, it's something that I think everyone continually is scratching their heads about and trying to find, okay, what's the, what's the path of least resistance? How do we make this uh, easy and amenable for influencers so they can focus on what they do best, right? And mm-hmm. not distract them with 
access reminders, communication channels, and deliverables, right. make it easier to empower their workflow rather than put up additional roadblocks. Right, right, absolutely. Justin, where can people find out more about you and more about Trending Family? Yeah, sure. So um, so Trending Family, uh, you can just visit trendingfamily.com. And I'm uh, most active probably on LinkedIn. You can find me um, at linkedin.com slash Justin Moore, essentially, Trending Family. And so you can find me on there. I'd love to connect. with And my email address, if anyone wants to reach out directly, is just justin at trendingfamily.com. There we go. And I'll mention too that you host an incredible podcast. So people uh, encourage people to check that out. Check out your great webinars and the rest of the helpful content you put out there in terms of industry resources, in addition to you know all the great work that you and your family do as content creators. I appreciate that. Yeah, I totally forgot. Yes, I do host a podcast. I host a podcast <laughs> as well. Um, it's called Sponsored Post Podcast. You can find it at sponsoredpostpodcast.com. And it's all about, you know, how you know, influential brands and creators uh, create content kind of behind the lens of, of how all that comes together. But we interview both influencers and the business industry side folks. And I'm going to be interviewing James at a future date as well. So uh, right. make sure to yeah, make sure to tune in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's awesome to get the perspective really from both sides of the table, right? As someone who was outside this industry as a viewer, then became a content creator. You know, now you're taking that experience and helping others navigate this landscape as well. It's terrific. So really appreciate your time and, and you sharing all the insight. Thanks so much for having me, James. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.